Well, it is a pleasure to be back with you. Becky and I have been been here once before and uh, got to know Paul and Millie as they were looking for a house about a year ago. And uh, delighted that you were able to find a home that has been a, a delight to you. Also delighted to see you here at Faith Bible Fellowship. And so, and I have several other members. My wife knows uh, Jackie, and we know Vicky, and from a long time back at Calvary Baptist. That's in Vicky's case. So, it's it's good to worship with you, to sing those great hymns, and to sing a couple of songs. I think one of those songs, His Strength Is Perfect. I remember from way back in. One of the Mar- I don't remember, but it's been a while. It's still what we call a modern, a new song. It's not like Martin Luther's "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God," but isn't it wonderful to sing old hymns that we've known and that for centuries believers have sung, but also to know that God is still leading His people to write songs of worship and praise and reminder and testimony. It's good to be with you and to know that God is at work in your midst, and I am delighted to hear that uh, God has led you and Pastor Jim together, and uh, I trust because of who Jesus Christ is and his promise that he would build his church, that there are good days of ministry and blessing and fellowship and worship and service for Faith Bible Fellowship in the future, as there have been in the past. Let me pray once again. Father, we've we've sung hymns that express our need of you, our dependence on you, and I need your Holy Spirit to speak through me and my brothers and sisters here need, and I need, the reminder and teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we will not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Thank you that week after week, in fact, day after day, you continue to teach us and lead us, guide our steps. And so during this time of study in the Scripture, Please apply your word to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not too long ago, I uh, met with a friend on a Tuesday morning. We meet every Tuesday for coffee and uh, usually a chick, chick, chicken biscuit and, uh, and then for fellowship and prayer. And we had done that, and I still had my chicken biscuit, and I hadn't, I had gotten it to go for some reason. So I thought I'm gonna, I, I knew a little place where I could park right next to a park and sit and eat my biscuit, and I checked my phone. I wasn't, I'm trying to learn not to answer my phone when I'm in the car. My wife will say, "Don't you touch that phone when it rings," because I tend to go, "No, no, no, no." So anyway, I was making some calls, and anyway, a lady walked by walking her dog, and I said hi the window was warm weather so the window was down a minute later I this her head pops in the window excuse me sir said yes ma'am do you know that your uh, your tags are expired no (laughs) they didn't tell me anything so I got out being the being the man I thought she must be looking at it wrong went and looked at she's exactly right it 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 expired in May so I (laughs) I said, ma'am, thank you so much. I'll go directly, not to jail, but directly to... <laughs> I'll not pass go. I'll not collect $200. In fact, if the police stop me along the way, I may pay $200 for having expired tags. So I got in my car. I had to travel on Kingston Pike. Those of you know who Kingston, know Kingston Pike, there are a lot of traffic lights from, from where I was, which is about Pellissippi Parkway, all the way out to Farragut, the uh, county clerk's office. And I, it was interesting, knowing that my tags were expired changed the way that I drove. 
I usually, now y'all are probably more spiritual than me when you're behind the wheel of a car, but when I'm normally under normal conditions, I see, I see the light is green ahead and I'm going, okay, if I slow down, maybe it'll turn green before I get there and I won't have to stop. Or that one's green now, I'm going to accelerate a little bit to hopefully I, that I get through. And there comes a point where I think, is it going to change? Is it going to Hello? Can you? Oh, we got it, got it now? Okay. So we, as I was saying, I looked at traffic lights differently. As I approached them, knowing that my tags were expired, I would, anytime I got close to a traffic light, I was taking my foot off the gas and covering the brake. Because if, if that light turned even, I was, I was going to do all that I could to stop instead of my usual way of doing all that I could to get through it without stopping. Knowing that my, I had expired tags, Changed the way I looked, changed the, at traffic lights, changed the way I drove, also changed the way I looked in the mirror. Because if there are any. <laughs> the worst time is if you get stopped at a traffic light and a policeman pulls up behind you and has a chance to look at your tags. So I was figuring if a policeman got behind me, I was changing lanes or I was going to pull into a parking lot. Just, it's amazing how I, the, the way I looked at things was different. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that kind of illustrates how Jesus had to take his disciples and say, Guys, you're looking at things wrong. I need you to, I need you to change how you see. We're going to do a little spiritual eye exam. And I'm going to do four questions based on uh, John chapter 4. I'm going to start. and Let me just read, even though I didn't list it in my Scripture. Let's look at the very beginning of the chapter, verse 4. It said he was going to go. He he was going to go back to Galilee. Galilee was in the north. He was in Jerusalem, where he was leaving from. A, a couple of days walk. The most direct route was through a region called Samaria, where the Samaritans were. You probably, uh, from your pastor Chris you, and your own study, you probably know that the Samaritans and the Jews pretty much hated each other. The the Jews regarded Samaritans as dogs. The Samaritans would not welcome Jews if they were passing through, not, not provide shelter for the night, maybe not even provide food. And so there's a good deal of hostility. And usually the Jews, if they had to go from Jerusalem here in the south to Galilee in the north, they would go not the direct route, but they would go around. They would cross the Jordan River, go north, so they could stay in Jewish territory and not go through, not go through Samaria. That was why it's so interesting when it says in verse 4, now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jo Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And I won't read the whole story, but a, a Samaritan woman came. And they had a conversation where he revealed that he not, he not only that he was willing to accept a drink of water from her, which was remarkable for a Jewish person, willing to talk to her, which was remarkable for a Jewish man, but also knew her story, knew her life, though he had never met her. He knew that she'd been married five times, and in fact, she wasn't living with that 
fifth husband anymore. That was a done deal. She was now living with a man that was not her husband. He knew her. And from that, she went and told the people of her city, I think I've met a man who is the Messiah. He told me everything I ever did. So we're going to pick up the story, though. Not so much, we're not focusing on what Jesus had to say to the Samaritan woman, but what he said to his disciples, because they're the ones that he needs to teach the lesson to as well. And the lesson that he teaches them are what we need reminders about. Start with me in chapter 4, verse 27 of John 4. <clears throat> Just then, his disciples returned. They'd been sent into, into town to get something to eat. And they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's like the, like the National Enquirer or People Magazine. What in the world? Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look on the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the, the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I want to ask four questions about how you're looking at things. I went to the doctor, the eye doctor, within the past two weeks, and they do all kinds of tests. I now have glaucoma, so he's got to check for that. Check my peripheral vision. There's a lot of things that a doc, eye doctor does besides just reading the chart nowadays. And so I'm going to give you four questions to consider to help you see whether or not you're looking at things correctly because we need regularly to have our spiritual vision corrected and adjusted. First question is this. How do you view where you are? How do you view where you are? And I get that from this simple statement at the very first chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, He, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Again, the Jewish attitude toward the Samaritans and the Samaritans' attitude toward the Jews would have kept most Jews Jews out of Samaria and if they were in Samaria they would have been trying to get out as quickly as they could what are we doing here in uh, among these dogs in this place full of spiritual what corruption and moral corruption and and yet Jesus had to go through Samaria and at the end of the chapter you see why he had an appointment he had an opportunity he had, the, he, he had the 
beautiful privilege of sharing the gospel with people who are in spiritual darkness. And they trusted in him. They believed in him. God had a work for him to do in that place. But the disciples probably did not see it or view it that way at all. They wanted to go to what? Galilee. That's the destination. But we've got to we've got to put up with Samaria, but we've got to get to Galilee. That's the place where God's going to work. That's the place where there's blessing. That's the place where there's ministry. We're going to be teaching and preaching and and bringing people into the kingdom of God and proclaiming that this this Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But here in Samaria, we just need to get through here. They did not view Samaria as a great place. They did not think that they had to be there. And yet, think about it, they had to be there. Why? Because they were following Jesus, and that's where he was going. That's where he was going to be working. Has God ever put you in a place that you really didn't understand or really didn't want to be? I think it's safe to say that every one of us and every church has gone through times when they think, why are we here? What are we doing in this place? I really don't want to be in this situation. I've had jobs when I thought, I can't wait to be done with this job. What am I doing working here? Sometimes it's not only this is unpleasant or inconvenient, just sometimes you think nothing is happening, nothing good is happening here. Why does God have me here? Why isn't why is something... Why isn't God blessing here? Why, why, when, I, when am I going to get to where I really want to be? It can be that a situation that we're in is not only inconvenient, but sometimes confusing and sometimes painful. But it's there that God can work just as well as he can work in the times and the places where we see his evident blessing and his evident leading. I would encourage you, as I remind myself, to pray several prayers when you think, I really don't want to be in the situation where I am. I really don't understand. I really don't like where God has me. Or we even forget, does, is it possible that God has me here? Maybe this is just a mistake. I would suggest and encourage you to say to the Lord, what do you want to teach me here? That was part of the reason I think that Jesus had to go through Samaria. His disciples had to learn that it wasn't just about Israel. It wasn't just about ministering in a place where they were comfortable. But it was about the world. And it was about the gospel being for all people. It was about seeking and saving that which was lost. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save what was lost. And he said later on in John, as the Father has sent me, I've sent you. So pray, Lord, what do you want me to, want to teach me in this situation? A second thing to pray is this. Lord, what work do you have for me to do here? Jesus knew what he had to do. He had an appointment, not only with the woman, not only with the people of the town of Sychar, but he had a lesson to teach his disciples. He had a work to do. So he had to go through Samaria. I think it's wise for us to pray when we don't understand, when we just want to get out of the situation we're in. Lord, do you have a work for me to do? What is it? Give me grace to accomplish it. You're probably familiar with John Bunyan, and he is the author of Pilgrim's Progress. 
possibly, apart from the Bible, the most printed, the most read book ever. After several hundred years, it's still in print, still read. It's translated into more than 200 languages. John Bunyan was imprisoned for preaching the gospel without a license during a time in the Church of England when it was illegal to preach unless you were a member of the Church of England. And he believed that God had called him to preach and he, and he was not going to be bound by the regulations of the Church of England to preach on certain subjects on certain days and to pray certain things on certain days. He was going to be led by God. And so he was arrested and put in prison. And for 11 years, he was mostly in, occasionally out, but mostly in, in jail in Bedford, England. And it was there because he had a heart to pastor his church. He pastored them by writing to them. John Piper in the biography of John Bunyan says this about that time in prison. Bunyan's sufferings confirmed in him his calling as a writer. God developed this gift that he had for writing. And not only did he write sermons to his, uh, his, his church, which were, they were out of jail, he was in jail, but he wrote another book, Pilgrim's Progress, which has been used wonderfully for hundreds of years in the lives of God's people. It might have appeared that that God's servant John Bunyan was put on the shelf. He might have been tempted to ask, and I'm sure he did because he saw his family suffer and his church suffer, by, and he suffered in prison. But he also eventually saw that God did a great work by that time that he spent in jail. And I remind myself often, remind you, to look at where you are with the eyes of faith. We sang about walking by faith, not by sight. Trust that God is in control, that he is guiding, that the good shepherd does lead his people. So how do you view where you are? Trust that Jesus Christ, if you're walking with him, will lead you. And even if you've drifted, then, then there are good things you can do to get back with him. You can start right where you are to walk with the Lord and see his blessing. A second question is this. How do you view people? How do you view people? When the disciples returned from going into town and buying something to eat, they came back and here's Jesus in a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman. And if they had known her story, they would have thought a scandalous Samaritan woman. Three strikes, you're out. What do you want to talk to her for? In fact, that was a question they asked. Why are you talking to her? What do you need? I don't think they grasped that he had accepted a glass of water, a drink of water from her. He had drunk water from something that a Samaritan, an unclean Samaritan, had touched. They would have looked at her very differently from how he did. He saw her as he always saw people. Jesus Christ, when it says, he, it says somewhere else in Matthew's gospel, he says, seeing the multitude, he felt compassion for them because they, hara- they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw Zacchaeus in a tree, what did he say? Zacchaeus, come down. I have to have dinner at your house today. And what did the crowd say? He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. What's he doing that for? And the disciples were so easily off track as they looked at people. Jesus wants, wanted them to see people as he saw them. 
in need of a Savior, in need of grace, in need of mercy. And that's how we need to see people. As I was studying this passage of Scripture about a month ago and thinking about it a lot, I was driving. I happened to be driving. I wasn't studying and driving at the same time, but I had been studying and thinking, and now I'm driving on the interstate. And as I drove along, I heard the sound of a motorcycle, a big motorcycle. I like the sound of big motorcycles. I don't want to own a big motorcycle. Really, honey, I don't. I'm not going <laughs> to. I kind of do. But at 150 pounds, I do not need to have a Harley Davidson. But anyway, I could hear the sound of a bike, and it was obviously a Harley. So I glanced, and, and when, I, when a motorcycle passes me, you know, where I look, I look at the engine. That's where I want to look. Harley, right? Yeah. You know, big old engine. And I, then, I, then I looked at the person driving it as they went on by. It was a woman riding a hog. Big old, big old Harley Davidson. Now, she was, uh, she was obviously a woman that could handle that bike. She, she looked tough. She was wearing a halter top, and her whole back was covered with tattoos. And I made, it was interesting, I made this instantaneous judgment about the kind of person that she was and what I thought of her. I thought, well, it's probably accurate. I, she's rough. She's rough. And then she may have had a rough life. I don't know. And I thought, I bet she's carrying a gun or a knife. <laughs> I just, I, I bet she was. But the thing that immediately came to mind is, and what do you think of her as a person? What do you, how do you value her? And I thought to myself, not very much. Like the disciples looked at this woman and said, what are you talking with her for? If, if I was in McDonald's and she was sitting by herself, I bet I would have not have gone up to her and said, hey, I noticed your bike. Can I sit down and have a cup of coffee? With you? I don't know. If I would have, because I, I think I judged her that quickly, sized her up and made a decision about what she was worth, what kind of person she was. And I was reminded to not look at the outside. And even if the outside is an indicator of stuff on the inside, she and all people are precious to God. How do you view people? How do we get our vision adjusted. I had a couple of things that I thought of, a couple of scriptures. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says this, and so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and dearly loved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you so also should you forgive others. We need to put on a heart of compassion. And it, it, it understood in that idea is that you don't possess it innately of yourself, but it's something we need to get from God, a heart of compassion. Think of the places in Scripture it, it refers to that. It says in uh, Romans 5, 5, it says the, the, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts to the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What we need is the Spirit of Jesus Christ in control of our lives day after day in all that we do and think. We need to say, Lord, would you fill me with your Spirit 
so that my reaction to people, my attitude pe toward people, reflects your love for people, your patience with people, your attitude toward, pe toward people, your longing that they would be reconciled to God. How do you see people? We ought to see them as Jesus saw them. Sometimes they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd in need of a Savior. Sometimes they are brothers and sisters dearly loved, and we need to be gracious and forgiving and patient with one another. But we need to see people as he sees them, and he is able to give us that, that clarity of vision in looking at people. Third question is this. How do you see today? How do you see today? I get that from a verse uh, let's see here, verse 35. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the re reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. How do you view today? He, Jesus, says to them, you are thinking Four more months down the road, probably referring to the fact that you're thinking when we get to Galilee, up the road, when we get out of here, then we're going to do something. Then we're going to be involved in the work of God. In the future, sooner, later, after we get where we're going, that's when we're going to do something. That's when God's going to work. That's when, we're going to, that's when there's an opportunity for ministry. But for right now, the disciples are thinking, Lord, don't you want lunch? This is what we're here for. We got food. Let's eat. Now, I can understand that. I'm all about, I have a very small tank. If, or maybe just a high, maybe my engine runs at a high speed. I, whatever I eat doesn't stick with me very long. And I get hungry and I'm thinking about food a lot. You wouldn't know it by how skinny I am. But I burn it off pretty quick. And they were thinking, it's all about lunch. That's what we got food for. And Jesus said, I, I have food to eat you don't know anything about. This conversation and these people that are coming right here, right now. You're thinking later there'll be an opportunity for you to do something, Lord. And I want you to look now. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields now, today. That challenge for us is relevant. We need to consider not just what's going to happen down the road. And I trust that there will be blessing and joy when Pastor Jim comes and there will be a, a new season for faith Bible fellowship. And there will be new opportunities for ministry. And there will be changes and those things will be... The older I get, the less I like change. I, <laughs> when I was young... I want, to, I want to see someplace different. I want to leave Tennessee. I want to move away. I want to go someplace. I want to go around the world. Now I tend to think, no, I want to, I want to sit at home and see my friends and do things that I'm comfortable with. But there will be changes. And there will be blessing when he comes as pastor. But what about today? And what about tomorrow at the office or at school or at home? We need to look at today properly. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, when he, uh, when he had just, or he was getting ready about to heal a man who had been born blind, he said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as it is day. In other words, day after day. We need to do the work of him who sent me.
you and I, day after day, today, this day, right here, in fellowship with one another. You need to honor and serve the Lord. And then tomorrow, in the nine to five, or in, in, the, in, in the, the daily stuff, the, what's sometimes called the secular part of the world, the secular part of life, we need to view that day and each day. Here are a couple of things that may help you to view today, each day, properly. First of all, remember who we are. We are His workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Those good works are what happens here at church, in fellowship with one another. They're also, they're also what happens day by day through the week. Also what happens at home in our relationships with one another. They are the good works which God has prepared in advance for us. We are his workmanship. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. In Colossians 3.23, not only should we remember who we are, we also ought to remember that all work is service to God or can be service to God. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it wholeheartedly as serving the Lord, not men, knowing that from the, from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. He was speaking to slaves who had very little choice about what they were going to do. The master said, go, go clean out the barn. They went and cleaned out the barn. Go out in the field and, 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 and pull up weeds. They went out and pulled up weeds. And Paul wrote, whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly as serving the Lord. Pull up weeds for the glory of God. Do it wholeheartedly. Do the best you can. Do it cheerfully. Do it to honor the Lord. So view today and all the work that, he's, that God has allowed you to do from the standpoint that you are his servant. You are his ambassador. One last thing is as you do your work and as you, to, to, help, to help us see today properly and each day properly. Remember, there's a reward for faithful service. There's a reward. Jesus said there in John chapter 4, even now, in verse 36, even now the reaper draws his wages, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. How do you view today? Each day has, is full of opportunities, full of possibilities, for serving the Lord. May God give us eyes to see that our work matters, that our opportunities are from him, and then by the help of the Holy Spirit to do that work, whatever it is, wholeheartedly for his glory. One last question for our spiritual eye exam, our spiritual vision exam is this. How do you view other people's work? How do you view other people's work? Jesus said in verse 37, Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labors. He's interesting. He's, he's saying that here. He's saying, men, you are part of a larger thing than just what you do. There are some people who are, in, like in a harvest field, some people sow the seed. And after they are done with their work, they look out on the field, and what do they see? Dirt. An empty field. And if you only judge by what you see at that moment, 
you'd think I haven't done anything. I haven't accomplished anything. It looks like when I, but, but they don't see it that way. They say there is a crop planted. It hasn't grown yet. It will be reaped later on, maybe by someone else. But I have done what I was supposed to do. I've sown the seed. And Jesus said that's how it is with ministry. Some people sow. Others reap. One day they'll rejoice together. One day they'll be rewarded together. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. God caused the growth. I read something by Billy Graham some years ago, and he talked about the joy that he saw that he had as people came forward at, a, at one of his crusades. He said, but I'm always conscious of the fact that when those, I give the invitation and people are coming down the aisles, that that's not just because of me. But there's been a mother or father who's prayed for that person coming. There's been a friend who invited them to come. There's been someone at the office who loved them and showed Jesus Christ to them. I'm not the only one. There have been ushers who help people get here, and there are people in the parking lot that help, help, help people park, and there are people who set up the chairs or worked on this sound system. He says, I get to give the invitation. I have my part to play, but I'm a part of a larger body of Christ serving. And if, if you have work to do in the church, which is in the background, which isn't as noticeable, Remember that your work is valuable. But also remember to be grateful for the people who do serve in the shadows, who do the things which aren't as recognizable or don't seem as glorious. The people that try to power wash the church and uh, the people that pick up the church. Interesting that Calvary Baptist had a work day yesterday and I was, I was going through the library, the old church, li the church library, throwing away dozens and dozens of old Office Depot catalogs from the early 2000s. That you just, you know, what do you do in a church? We're not using this anymore. Put it in a file cabinet. Put it on the shelf. And uh, so we did those, all those things. The people, that, the people that keep the babies in the nursery. Those who run the sound. Even when it doesn't work as you wish it would. <laughs> Appreciate those people. There will be a reward for whatever work we do as part of this body of Christ. Jesus said, we're going to re re rejoice together one day that, there, that our labor is not in vain in the Lord, that God has used it. So we need from time to time our vision corrected about how we look at our own work, but also the work of others. Appreciate it, even if it's not what we're gifted at, even if it's not what we do, even if it doesn't, even, it not, even if it's not prominent or obvious. Appreciate the work that people do. How do you view where you are? How do you view people? How do you view today? And how do you look at the work of others? May God give us clarity of vision. In fact, as we close, I would like for us to have a moment of silent prayer so that we all can talk with, the, talk, talk with the Lord about these things. So would you stand? I would like for us to just have a moment of reflection and prayer. To ask the Lord, maybe it's, Lord, here's the situation I'm in and I don't like it. But what do you have for me here? What do you want me to do about this? 
Maybe it's someone you're, a person that you need your thinking about them adjusted. Maybe you look at tomorrow and the week ahead, you go, really, nothing much to look forward to. Ask the Lord, help me to see each day and its opportunities. Would you pray? Lord Jesus, you said this that I read this morning. My Father is always at work, and I too am working. You're still at work. Would you work in us? Would you work through us? As the author of Hebrews said, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good to do his will. And may he work in us that which is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you work in us that which is pleasing to you and equip us with everything good, this spiritual vision, this this way of looking at opportunities, at life, at people, at service. Would you help us to see things, life, people, as you see them? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I could, no, no, that's why I could ask everybody to sit, but that, 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 that just doesn't work either. So please remain standing for our, our closing hymn.